When I was growing up, I wanted to be a ballerina, and now I'm a food writer. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Kat Hong, an LA staff writer for The Infatuation. Kat was born and raised in Hilo, Hawaii, a small, beautiful town that has maybe three to four restaurant openings a year, max. Now living in Los Angeles, Kat likes to fill her time with marveling at the wonder of flight, listening to podcasts, applying for Mensa, getting rejected from Mensa, and perpetually existing on the brink of joining a pyramid scheme. Her work has been featured on Whetstone Magazine's Point of Origin podcast, Erios' Filling the Void and the Margaret Cho, Real Food, Real Stories' The Curious Eater, and The Infatuation's Not Cast. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Kat. Hi, Ben. The getting rejected from Mensa is a really important part of that bio. Mensa is such a throwback for me because I <laughs> remember there was like one teacher at my high school who was in Mensa and that was like a big deal among us students. Like we have oh a God. Mensa teacher among our faculty and uh, it's just such a funny, quirky organization. <laughs> but I'm sure you have a lot of people who can commiserate with getting rejected <laughs> from Mensa. Was your teacher like super smart or what was their like whole deal? He he was a he was he was a smart sharp dude. Yeah, he was like a cool young social studies teacher. I think his name was Mr. Bauer. Uh, I think I did. <laughs> I just think it's funny that there's this whole organization of like people who are geniuses, but also feel the need to be like recognized about it, like in a society. Yeah, it's it's not enough that they probably grew up with their family and friends telling them how smart they were and getting the grades. It, it <laughs> you need that extra validation. No, I, I get it. I get it. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm really grateful to have you on. I was telling you, I've been reading the infatuation for a long time. It's one of my go-to sources. I love the work you and your team are doing. And I, I think especially the guides are kind of the bread and butter of the infatuation and the sardonic humor you guys incorporate and just make it really fun. It's not stuffy to read about food when we're reading on the infatuation. So I think that's really lovely. And I guess where I'd like to start is by asking, you know, in, in a city like L.A. that you cover the food scene in, there is always so much going on, right? So you, you grew up, you said, in Hilo, Hawaii, where there may be three to four restaurant openings a year. There's like that many almost hourly in L.A. can feel like sometimes. So mm-hmm. and I know for a fact that the infatuation, much to the chagrin of folks in the food PR world, you guys don't work with publicists. It's whatever you guys are reviewing is places that you've actually consumed food and drinks from. So knowing all that, knowing how much is out there, how do you decide where you want to go, what you want to cover in the city? Oof. It's hard, honestly. I mean, we're lucky because we live in such a rich city that has so much food and so much new food and so much old food and so much like geographically. So it can feel a little paralyzing sometimes to sort of be like, okay, I have like a list of 80 restaurants that I need to try, both old and new. Like, how do I even prioritize those? Um, the first step there's a lot of Instagram scrolling. Like I feel like (laughs) now, especially since things are so digital with like, you know, restaurants being straight up closed most of the year, like a lot of the ways that restaurants interact with their customers and try to find new customers is through Instagram. So that's just like 
a nonstop <laughs> scroll on top of my already nonstop scrolling. Um, but, you know, I think the ethos with the infatuation is just sort of like, what is a restaurant that you would recommend to a friend? So any restaurants that get us excited and like that we're sharing with other people, that we're sharing with each other, especially like anything that we're personally excited about, like that's what we're going to go to. One of the many, you know, fun parts of the infatuation is the the humor you guys infuse into your writing. And I think it's already cool enough and hard enough to write about food. Like, I think a lot of people enjoy the act of eating, but probably might might find it challenging to actually like put into words why they enjoy what they enjoy. And then to infuse humor in that is a whole nother level of, uh, you know, challenges. So how do you how do you think you got good at writing about food aside from like just trying a bunch of you know awesome things to eat how do you think you got good about at writing about food especially in the tone that suits the infatuation i mean it's hard because then i don't know if i would necessarily even say that about myself because i still have so much to learn and i am horrible at grammar so i don't know if my editors would say i'm necessarily good but I mean, I think that's sort of what attracted to me, attracted me to the infatuation in the first place is like a reader was just sort of like this tone and voice and style that they had that I wasn't really seeing on other food media sites for better or for worse. Like a lot of times I was seeing sort of food written about either in a way that seemed like inaccessible because I didn't really understand like what they were talking about and like had to bring out like a dictionary in order to sort of understand what was going on or sort of like you mentioned with PR machines, like, um, it's very often that words lift will be lifted from like a press release or something, which is not necessarily the way that I talk about restaurants. I don't really say to friends like, oh, so, you know, this like new like chef driven spot in Santa Monica <laughs> with like Californian Italian influences just opened up. Like I'm going to be like, hey, this place opened up like by my workplace, like um, it's serving like bolognese and stuff like that. So I think just approaching it in a way where um I would be telling it to like a friend is the easiest way to think about it. When I think with any kind of humor writing, there's always kind of like a tricky needle to thread when it comes to good natured kind of harmless snark and things that might be, you know, kind of perceived as malicious or legitimately offensive. How do you how do you go about that? How do you thread that needle? Because also, as I think has become a lot clearer during the pandemic, you know, these the, nobody sets out, I think, to make a bad restaurant. Um and ultimately, it's people's livelihoods. So how do you how do you thread that needle um, of, you know, kind of good natured snark without being legitimately offensive or malicious? Totally. I mean, I think we've had to really rethink this in like the past year. So I think that's such a good question. I think we were sort of a bit more prone <laughs> to starkiness, maybe like a year ago, um, just because it it did def definitely toe the line between like good natured and maybe like a little like, yeah, very snarky. But in this like past year, we've kind of really reevaluated like what the value is in that, especially when restaurants are like hurting so much. And like, you know, it's like very hard to run a consistently good restaurant when you've never done takeout before. You don't have like any presence on like delivery apps. And if even if you are like a Postmates will be taking 30 percent of your order anyway you're not able to really be able to serve the people and find the joy of like serving people like in your normal everyday to day life. So I think we've had to really scale back on that. But the challenge has been like, how do we still insert humor like into these pieces? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think along the lines of, I think kind of 
inspired pivots I've seen the infatuation take in the past year was taking away the rating system, which I think but pre-pandemic, nobody really had an issue with. Like it was actually a very easy way to comprehend, you know, is this place good? Is this place not good? Is it, is it average? Is it in between? But I think since the pandemic and, and the rethinking and kind of being more cognizant that these are people's livelihoods and everybody's just trying to do their best, I, I thought it was a cool move to take away the rating system. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, like what went into that decision? Because that was like a big part of the infatuation is you you check the site, you see like, oh, this place has like an 8.2. Okay, cool. I'll get tacos from here. It was in those like first couple months where everything was just like going crazy of like March and April and May and nobody was having like a consistent restaurant experience like especially not in like a city where like every two weeks it seems like the mayor was like walking back in terms of like okay restaurants can have outdoor dining restaurants can have indoor dining oh actually they can't bars can be open actually bars can't be open like it was just so difficult for restaurants to even like keep the lights on let alone have a consistent like front of house back of house or like any sort of like quality control and like that's not anything on the restaurants and I think for us it was like how can we keep these ratings that number one reflect a different time and to like judge a restaurant without like nuance or context of like what's going on right now so I think it was definitely the right call and I think it really frees us to have a more complex like opinion about places too I found in my own reading that now that there's no rating I actually am more thorough mm-hmm. about reading about the restaurant whereas before I might have just looked at the rating and if it was bad I probably wouldn't even read why it was bad. I'd probably, you know, because I, I trust you guys. Totally. So if I saw that the people I trust don't really like it, then I'll move on. But, you know, since then, there have been times where I'll read it. And like, I think anytime we read a Yelp review or something, we'll see like, oh, I understand mm-hmm. why that person didn't like it. But that reason is moot for me. So I'm going to go ahead and try this. Uh, so I think that that is one of the cool things I've seen. And also along the lines of we were just talking about how much I love the guides that the infatuation puts out. I think what I admire is how you found a way to infuse the humor in the guides. So rather than, I think, shifting away from the snarkiness toward restaurants potentially and more so like it was a guide you actually put out nine meals for you and only you because you're alone on Valentine's Day. Like, I think that's a way that you capture, you know, the infatuation signature humor without, you know, getting cutting at restaurants in a way that that might be crossing a line. And I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome how you guys have done that. And along those lines, I'm curious, like when it comes to coming up with these guides, I, I'm one curious about like the number, like how do you decide nine? Why not 10? Why not eight? Why not 11? Like, how do you, how do you hone in on that random number? And just what's the process? Like, do you think of something that happened in your own life and then you run it by the team? How does, how does that work? Well, for the Valentine's Day one, (laughs) uh, how did I ever come up with this crazy concept? Um, A lot of it's based on our real lives. Uh, So we have like little meetings every week. We're sort of like, so what has like been going on? And what are like some are pretty organic. We'll be like, oh, this thing happened. And so we should like do a guide about it. And there was like a lot of Valentine's Day things coming up. So we're like, what can we do about Valentine's Day? I'm like, oh, I know. How about... um, If you are literally just sitting at home by yourself. Um, And then with the numbers, it's sort of like it goes the opposite way around where I'll usually pick the number of spots or I'll choose the spots first that I think will match and then I'll do the number afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's been one of the strongest for me, one of the strongest suits of the infatuation. And you just put out another incredible guide. I want to make sure I plug it. 17 black owned coffee shops across L.A. So when you are writing these guides, 
like do you have the food or the drinks in front of you as you're typing <laughs> up i'm very curious like if i were to shadow you what is your process are you just like driving across town what is it what does it look like Ooh. as you're physically writing these guides i've gone through like many different sort of like trying to hack my brain to remember things where there is a lot of driving especially now where it's like i'm also eating almost 70% of the meals like in my car so I can have them fresh. <laughs> sometimes I'm driving, sometimes I'm not driving. Uh, that's between me and the DMV. Uh, but <laughs> um, in terms of uh, trying to remember the food, usually I was trying to do a thing at one point in time to try to keep that like conversational style of like recording a little voice memo while I'm eating it. So I'll be like, ooh, this coffee is... So uh, maybe coffee's not a good one to start with. This like croissant is so buttery and flaky and like I'll be saying it into like a little thing like I'm a detective or something like in a movie. But that was getting a little bit difficult because I would have to like transcribe it and it would take too long. So now I usually just take like a few notes and definitely a lot of photos, which will help me remember what the meal was like. That process of kind of dictating your notes reminds me of like you go to a doctor's office and yes. be like, patient has bruised, blah, 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 blah. Definitely. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Except I'm saying stuff that's way less so, smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think along, al along, along with the guides, I think another thing that readers like me really appreciate about the infatuation that helps us figure out our next meal is the hit list. Mm. And I'm curious, what does it take for a restaurant to make it onto the LA hit list? And then how do you decide when to retire a restaurant totally a lot of it is pretty intuitive and i think like a year ago the hit list was something that was very sacred something that was very like we have very specific rules that they can only have opened between like one to three months like we have to have been them been to them like x amount of times would need to get photographs like all of these things it was like very regimented because it was pretty much like a flow from like our like openings guide hit list then someone's going to do a full review and so sort of that has sort of changed in like the last year because we actually didn't do hit list for a long time because not a lot of restaurants were even opening but like now it's very we've consciously had a conversation like in the company about wanting it to be something that's very inclusive we want to make sure that um we're not so beholden to these like rules that we made up like they should be new they should be good but it's more of a collection of meals that we feel really passionate about and f meals that we really really just enjoyed without having to be like okay but then when did they actually open their doors you know what i mean yeah yeah i think one of the many joys of the infatuation is as a reader it doesn't feel like i'm consuming a publication it feels like i'm reading texts from a very witty friend sometimes <laughs> you know uh so i think you know that that's been fun and then just seeing how you how you build on that brand and you you'll do like a food festival right in the pre-covid days the eats con things things that were super fun live events and i'm curious how do you think the infatuation has gone about navigating taking you know the 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 spirit of live events from the pre-covid days and kind of channeling that creative energy into experiences for people now eating at home i mean it's been it's been hard i mean i've been to a couple eats cons and like worked at them and like which was our live food festival and oh it was so special it was such a great experience and i know they'll come back but it's just obviously we couldn't have them this year but it's been a challenge to sort of be like how can we have that connection with our readers and like restaurants too of like 
being in a space and like having something outside of just like our website because we don't really do print and something that I'm really proud of that we've done this year is that we actually did come out with a zine that was headed by our um, creative director or um, artistic director um, Emily Ng which is just like a whole like love letter to like Hong Kong Hong Kong style cafes and so like different ways of like engaging the audience and like reaching out to them has been a challenge but I think really exciting things have been happening over the past year. And I think another one of the cool ways that the infatuation branched out was with Textrex, which admittedly it's been a while since I've had to consult. But back in the days when we were all out and about on a regular basis, it was really convenient to be able to text Mm -hmm. and say like, hey, I'm looking for a restaurant that's, you know, this, this and this, uh, and then get a recommendation back from somebody who was very in the know of the food scene. Um, Did you find, I'm curious, like, was there any connection between using data from what you saw people were asking about on TextRex and realizing like, oh, we should probably like address, like we're getting these common questions. Let's make a guide that addresses those questions or, or is that not, not really the case? <laughs> it wasn't as like um, formulaic as that. I think the people that were like the head of TextRex would sort of be like, oh, hey, like this question's coming in like a lot, like just like telling us that that's sort of a trend that's happening, but it wouldn't be like, okay, now you have to do a guide or else. It was just sort of yeah. that like, so we know what people are like kind of curious about. Yeah, makes sense. No, it was it was, it was was a really inspired service. Um, no, it was great. I'm, I'm looking forward to when we're all, when we're all out and about again, I think uh, I'll be hitting it up much more frequently. Same. You, you've been, yeah, you've been covering the food scene for a while now in LA. I'm curious as somebody who is a transplant who came from Hawaii, how is, how is the food? And, you know, as you mentioned, like you, you had very few restaurant mm-hmm. openings now to a place like LA, very different. How have you seen the food scene evolve and what's gotten you very excited recently? Ooh, that's such a great question. The food scene in LA is so, I mean, just night and day different than Hawaii and, and not just in terms of like the number of restaurants but like the cuisines that are available like there's not a lot of like Mexican cuisine in Hawaii especially not the big island which I grew up on there's like one I think taqueria only <laughs> and like now I can like walk down the block to any truck and it's like the most incredible Mexican food I've ever had in my entire life so that was incredible to move here and eat that and like the Vietnamese food here is so much different and then like the Chinese food is different than the Chinese food in like San Francisco which is different than the food in like Hawaii so it's just been like doing this job has been such an incredible way for me to like just to explore the city and learn about it in that way what are things that have gotten me excited pop-ups they've been talked about to death um in LA specifically but like this is the era of like the pop-up like some of the most exciting meals that I'm are, are like things that don't have like physical restaurants or like physical spaces. Like I went to Nemo, which is this like new modern Korean pop-up um, in K-Town that uh, partnered with Han Chic, which is like a new Korean restaurant as well. And they had this like multi-course meal that came with like pork belly over mushrooms and then like also some like raw fish and like it all came in like different boxes and you like scan a QR code and then it tells you this is the cold dishes this is the hot dishes this is what to eat for dessert this is how much to warm this up and like it was so exciting and the food was just like incredible and food that I'd never had before Um, another one I went to recently was like happy mediums in echo park which was all just like sort of like picnic food so they had this like beautiful um 
what was the bread again? It wasn't brioche. It was like a huge, like baguette sort of, um, oh, focaccia. It was focaccia. It was like olive oil and like salt and you just pick it up all at once. And they had like dips and like cauliflower soup. And it was just like this beautiful, colorful spread. And I was amazed because all you do is just DM the Instagram account and then Venmo them the money. And then you just show up at their door and you have an amazing meal. Yeah. LA in the past year, it's just it's just been wild to see like the different kinds of pop-ups mm-hmm. and like the logistics of some of them totally. i was reading i think i was reading about it on the infatuation there was one where literally like you go outside someone's balcony and then they like yes. lower it chainsaw lower the food down to you in a basket mm-hmm. which one was it's it chainsaw in echo park as well that place is great the amazing yeah. ice cream yeah i kind of want to ju- go just to like witness the logistics of that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um it just seems so funny. But yeah, no, it's it's been super inspiring. And we had, I think, uh, Golden Rice Co. was oh, featured yes. on one of your pop-up mm-hmm. lists. Yeah, They're we had great. Sophia Parse on the podcast. And that's delicious. Mm. That's become like a Sunday night ritual here. Totally. Yeah. yeah. They're great. Um, well, thank you so much for enlightening us on all things infatuation. We'll wind down with some rapid-fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? Okay, this one's kind of bad. But honestly, Facebook and not because of like (laughs) messaging my friends or seeing my mom post like 80 times a day. It's literally because like the Facebook marketplace is one of the best places to buy like used furniture. I recently moved to a new apartment and so I like needed to refurnish my whole place. And like it's a great way to find like unique used furniture. Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? Okay, this one, hmm, I guess... It's a little limited. I probably would say like Aquafina or something, but like that's almost not as important as if I was going to have a love interest in this movie, that person would have to be Dev Patel or else. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) That's my answer. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Definitely to speak any language in the world and like all of them. Where is a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? I honestly haven't traveled that much, but probably China. Me and my family were supposed to go last year, like straight up at the end of March. And obviously (laughs) uh, that didn't happen, but um, we were supposed to go for like three weeks. And so we're still waiting on that. So that's number one on the bucket list. What's a song you like to jam to right now? Ooh. Okay, honestly, still into you by Paramore. I was gonna choose a different one, but like that one is just—I was listening to it like five times before this. <laughs> awesome. It's so and good. lastly, where can people uh, keep up with your work and follow you on social media? Yep, you can keep reading us on theinfatuation.com and on Instagram, I'm Prosciutto Girl sixty nine, and on Twitter, I'm at John and Vinny's. Love it great handles all around um, <laughs> if you're curious about the podcast you can check us out on instagram at hdyd pod cat thank you so much it's been a real treat i'm gonna keep reading the infatuation you guys help me figure out my next meal and keep me entertained at the same time thank you for the good work you're doing thank you for the awesome guides you're putting out it's been a real service especially during these crazy crazy times thank you ben that's so so kind it was so fun to talk with you today likewise 